got a, a family member who you get on the phone with and they're telling you stuff and you're thinking, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? Yeah, like, yeah. do you not see? Yeah. But to just sit back. And so many times when we sit back and we let that person process to the end, mm-hmm. oh, they come to the same conclusions that we would have tried to stuff down their throat yeah. and then they would have rejected, yeah. you know? So for me, I think that's listening is just giving up control. Hey, welcome to the Resolutions Podcast, where we like to turn difficult topics into helpful conversation. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, along with our co-host, Michael Gum. Hello. Michael, we're going to start today with a question. Are you ready? Okay. I would like for you to rate yourself with regard to listening skills. So how, how would you rate your listening skills at this point in your life? Well... Maybe I would go with a seven. A seven. Okay. So on a scale of one to 10, you're telling me. Yes. So it wasn't one to a (laughs) hundred. No. (laughs) No, I I think I do a decent job. Uh, There there certainly are times that I don't, um, just the same way with anybody, uh, particularly men, I guess. Um, But but no, I, I, I don't always feel like I have to be the one talking. So naturally, that leads me to listening. Okay, so we've got you on record as a solid seven, right? <laughs> on most days. Yeah. I, I thought it might be sort of uh, interesting at the onset of our podcast, since we've got the equipment to do it, maybe we could just call your wonderful wife, Melissa, <laughs> and we'll get her to weigh in on the same assessment, you know, as far as your listening okay. skills. From, so from, is, from, is this a <laughs> podcast or is this blackmail? <laughs> I would never punk you like that, right? But the, uh, the interesting thing is, you know, I, I feel like... For the most part, people are aware that they need to be, you know, skilled in certain levels of communication, and listening is definitely one of those. Sure. Uh, but uh, but we do have our blind spots, and most of the time, the people who are in closest relationships with us, right, they're the ones that can uh, that would probably offer a differing scale, and I I think the same is the same is true for me. I mean, like I make my bread and butter being a listener. Like I'm a professional counselor, right? Yeah. So, uh, in a in a space that you try to create where it's judgment free and you can be unfiltered, like so much of my day to day work depends on me being a good listener, and I would rank myself pretty high, sure, on a scale of one to ten. If not, you'd be out of a job. <laughs> but there are those moments that are you know, way more frequent than I care to admit that happen with people who I'm in close relationship with that I'm not so good. You know, I, uh, mm. a, a perfect example of that is, uh, you know, this one time my wife and I were doing some minor renovations uh, on a home and trying to just, you know, nothing major, we're just trying to personalize it. She does really, really uh, just a wonderful job with color schemes and, you know, she's not a feng shui person, but, you know, just like, it, our house sort of speaks to our personalities. And so she had decided in this wider open living space that it needed contrast. And so she had talked to me for weeks about painting a wall. And I had went with her to the hardware store and looked through all the paint chip selections and was there when she, you know, I was the one holding the chip up against the wall. And, uh-huh. and so she had reached, you know, the decision of the color and the texture. And it was officially on my to-do list. Right. Yeah. 
And it stayed on there for a few weeks. And this one weekend came up and my wife, my two daughters were going out of town and I just had the brilliant idea. Hey, why they're away, I'm going to paint this wall. Yeah. It'll be awesome. I'll do a great job. She'll come home. She'll be surprised. She'll be excited. I'll raise my stock as a husband. I'll impress my daughters as a dad. So, so I jumped into it, did an excellent job, nailed it. And when she came home, man, I like, it really surprised her. Mm-hmm. Because I painted the wrong wall, <laughs> you know. Oops! And I had the audacity to try to argue with her to say, "No, no, no! That's the wall that you told me to paint, right?" Because I'm such a good listener, and I was outnumbered three to one, you know. Because yeah. my daughters are like, "No, Dad, <laughs> that's that's the wrong wall." Yeah. So, uh, you know, when it comes to um, just the day-to-day relationships, you know, that we gravitate in and out of, whether it's the workplace, school campus, in our homes, extended family or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think most people would agree that nine times out of ten, if there's an erosion in your relationship, that it's it's directly or indirectly related to communication. Sure. And listening is just such, a, you know, a an essential aspect of communication that, you know, we could probably all use a brush up. Right. Yeah. So uh, so today we're going to be talking about listening on this episode of the podcast. And uh, we are going to introduce the audience to a person that I believe is just probably the best listener I've ever encountered in my life. Uh, Sean Smucker is an award winning author. He's from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And this guy, I've known him for years, and in many ways, his his life reads like a novel. Hmm. Like, he's he's had so many of these incredible experiences in such a short time span on planet Earth that I'm, I'm often blown away by him. Uh, he has a vivid imagination. Uh, he is uh, captivating in his writing style. He's a Jesus follower with an Amish heritage, hmm. which makes him pretty unique. Yeah. He's a devoted husband father, friend. But if you get to know Sean, the thing that strikes you the most is his ability to listen as he talks with people. I mean, even about the most emotionally charged topics, Sean is just inflappable. I mean, he just hangs in there, dials in. The past year, 2018, Sean had a book published uh, entitled Once We Were Strangers. And the goal of this book initially was to detail uh, sort of the, the harrowing journey of a Syrian refugee family, you know, as they escaped their village in Syria, a few different stops in the Middle East, and ultimately landing in the United States, going through the process of being reestablished here. Uh, but over the course of writing that book, Sean developed a lifelong friendship with a guy named Mohammed, this Syrian refugee. And he learned some very important aspects about loving those who are different and even forming friendships with people who we may initially fear. And so much of that story is underscored by listening. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks back, I got a chance to catch up with Sean uh, outside of a, uh, we got together for some coffee and uh, uh, took our discussion outside and was able to record uh, an interview with him about his book, but also about listening. So we're going to play that for everybody. And at the end, we just encourage our listeners to stick around because we're going to tell you how to find more of Sean's writings and his resources. And we'll also give you some principles on how to improve your relationships by listening. All right, so I'm here with uh, Sean Smucker. 
my uh, friend who is partially responsible for wrecking my life. <laughs> oh, is that right? I don't think I knew that. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, oh yeah, like I think uh, we just finished up a, a really good cup of coffee, and I think one of the last times you and I met for just coffee mm. was probably six or seven years ago. In the Panera? Yes. That's right. And I was, I was telling you, I've got this crazy idea that might be a calling, and it's going to require me to step oh, away man. from everything that I'm familiar with, right? That's you know, right, yeah. leaving, yeah. being a pastor, and uh, chasing down this uh, professional counseling degree, right? Yeah. And do you remember what I you told me? About that. I probably told you to do it. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> you were you were the the number one encourager, and and it strikes me at the time. Do you remember what you were doing? I was, uh, well, six seven years ago. Yeah. Was I traveling around the country? You were getting that ready. Was 2012. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were getting out. You were taking your getting family on a bus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which we eventually lost the brakes on That's the Teton right. Pass. Yeah. Which was a book. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. was a book, yeah. right? So uh, anyway, so oh, wow. uh, you know, uh, listen at your own risk uh, today <laughs> with this because this guy is uh, is an incredible instigator. But uh, yeah, apart from being just a, a dear friend, one of my favorite people, uh, Sean Smucker is just a, an exceptionally talented writer. Uh, and author, and uh, man, I just, uh, I love where God's got you going mm. in your life, and uh, how many books now are you up to? In the mid-twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, three for myself, and then the rest would be f- co-written with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I did one. Yeah. Together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, we'll give you more information here at the end of our of our conversation on where you can find uh, some Sean Smucker books. Uh, but uh, one book that I recently read uh, that you finished, it was uh, published this year, uh, Once We Were Strangers. Mm-hmm. And when I read this book, I just thought, I have got to have a conversation with you just for my own benefit. But uh, it would be really cool mm. to get it, yeah. you know, a recording of it yeah. and stuff. And uh, because it has to do a lot with overcoming fear just by being a better listener mm. and yeah. seeking to understand. So, yeah. um, so. The book itself is about this unique friendship that was formed with mm-hmm. a, a Syrian refugee, yeah. Muhammad, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and just how you know you getting to know him really transformed your lives in a way of mm-hmm. you know friendship and mm-hmm. even your families. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about the book. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about okay. Well, how can we become better listeners? Mm-hmm. Because you're just one of the best listeners that I've ever mm. met oh, in my life. That's <laughs> no joke. From the first time I ever met you, I just thought I have to learn the skill mm. from this guy. Mm. And uh, so, uh, so the book, how did you, um, you know, how did you come up with the idea of writing a book about, you know, getting to know yeah. a refugee? Yeah. We moved into Lancaster city, uh, in 2014 and, our paths started to cross a lot with people who were living in poverty. Miley started to volunteer at an agency called Circles. And at some point along the way, I crossed paths with uh, um, Christian World Service, Church World Service, which is a refugee resettlement agency. And so I started to volunteer with them. I was All I was doing was meeting with um, new arrivals, new refugees who had arrived in Lancaster. And Lancaster is the refugee capital of the United States. It I has, did not know this. It welcomes more people per capita than any other area. Holy man, I did not um, know that. So, like, in the peak three years ago, 
um, they had they had almost 500 refugees who came into Lancaster, mm -hmm. a city of 50,000 people. Um, so I started doing spotlights. I would meet with a refugee or asylum seeker and just kind of hear their story for an hour or so and then share it on my blog. CWS would share it. And um, it was nice. It was it was it was cool to meet you know some of the newer people to the county and and help CWS get the word out. We were able to generate some volunteers through that and stuff. And then um, in 2015 and into 2016, um, that's when the whole Syria thing started to really sort of you know hit its peak. Um, it was all over the news. I don't know if you remember that image of the kid in the back oh, yeah. of the ambulance oh, with the, totally. covered in white yeah, dust and yeah. just sitting there dead eyes, yeah. you know. So that really impacted me. And I had I took a trip to Iraq with a client around that time as well. So I really just had a heart for people in the Middle East. And um, I reached out to CWS and said, hey, are there any Syrians who I could meet with, you know, to do a spotlight? <clears throat> and they said, um, it actually takes so much time for for refugees to come through the system that the Syrians were only just starting to arrive. So this was, you know, the, the conflict started in Syria in 2012. This was 2016 and they were just starting mm. to come over. So okay. it takes usually three to five years okay. at best case scenario for a refugee to, to work their way through the system. So uh, they said, yeah, actually we have a family you could meet. They just got here this summer. This was in the fall. And so that's that's when they connected me with Muhammad. And when I first met with him, I, I had the idea for a book, but publishing is really tough. It wasn't, I knew I didn't want to self-publish um, for different reasons. And getting a publishing deal is, especially with nonfiction, is, is a real challenge. So when I first met with Muhammad, one of the things he said that, that just blew me away, I, it was the first time we had met. We were sitting in this room. We had a, a translator with us, and then one of the one of the leaders at CWS was there. And we started talking, and I explained through the translator, you know, that I was hoping to maybe write a book about his story, um, but that there's there's no guarantee, you know, that this might not happen. I, I think I said nothing. You know, it's very possible that nothing could come of this. And he replied immediately through the translator. Uh, no, no, that's impossible. Um, something has already come of this. We're friends. And this was within 15 minutes wow. of sitting down yeah, with him, yeah. you know, and that I, I literally sat there in silence for a couple seconds. I, was, <laughs> I just I couldn't believe it, you know, right, like, right. because I think of all the all the fears that I had of Middle Eastern people and so, and, and the hesitations and you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty open person when it comes to uh, people from the Middle East, but even hearing him speak Arabic, you know, it just, it, it calls back to all of the stereotypes that we have and the movies that we've seen yeah. about terrorists and the yeah. news and all that. And so I just sort of figured that he would have the same hesitations about me, you know, a mm -hmm. Westerner, uh, an American, you know, like... But he was, there was, there were no hesitations with him. He was all in immediately looking for friends. That's phenomenal. So I don't want to, I don't want to give away the book. I want to, I want to tease the book yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, so much of the book is in the title mm -hmm. once we were strangers. Mm -hmm. Right. So here's what I'm curious about. Um, you know, more than just the process of writing, storytelling, like what's it like to build a friendship with a stranger from a whole other world. Mm. It's 
it's, it was a difficult commitment for me to make, you know, because I think when I first started the friendship, I envisioned giving him some cash every once in a while if he needed it or, you know, making a call or finding them furniture, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. that was, that was the relationship that I envisioned honestly up front. And what I realized as I got to know Muhammad and as I met his family was that for refugees, at least here in Lancaster, their basic needs are very well supplied for. Like they, CWS does an amazing job coordinating volunteers. They have people who help them read their mail, who show them around the city, show them how to get a bus. Like, you know, they can come here and live and get by. And what I realized pretty soon after I started hanging out with Muhammad was he needs a friend. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. really what he needs. And I, I realized pretty soon, pretty early in the process, um, I don't know if I know how to be a good friend, Yeah. (laughs) much less to someone from another culture that's much more social and much more um, involved in each other's lives. I would show up at his house to drop something off. Yeah. And he's like, where are you going? Yeah. Like, you're not com- you got to come in, come in for coffee, come in. And then I would come in and I'd be there for two hours and then right. I'd go to leave and, oh, you can't leave. Yeah. You have to stay for dinner. You know, yeah. we're about to eat. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a real wake up call for me, yeah. you know, as, as we talked about rugged individualists, like as an American yeah. who is used to just making my own way. Yeah. Um, and when I go to a friend's house to drop stuff off, it's like, you drop it off. You can kind of tell by everybody's body language. They don't really want you to come in. Like right, this is an right. exchange. And so that's what I was used to. And Muhammad just totally shattered that. Okay. So let me, let me pry here just a little bit. So what listeners may not realize about you is that you're second generation removed Amish, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of my favorite books not favorite books that you've written, but one of my favorite books is like Speak No Evil, mm, right? Yeah, Think so, No Evil, yeah. Think No Evil, Think No yeah. Evil. It's a favorite book. I should probably learn the yeah. title. <laughs> uh, and you can search that on Amazon. But anyway, uh, that is, you, you take us back into the Amish community during a time of grief and, uh, and tragedy, mm. right? And, and what came out of that book for me was like, whew, these people mm. are invested in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. So, how much of, you know, this, this friendship that was, you know, requiring an investment of you mm-hmm. takes you back maybe mm. to, you know, more of your heritage. Am I way off base with that? Or well, is that... I think, I think you're on base, but I think in a, in a way that you're probably not imagining. So the, one of the real issues here in Lancaster, and I've talked about this before, is there's a, there's a huge insider outsider mentality it's not that they would do it intentionally yeah but one of the ways that the insiders here in Lancaster people who grew up here relate is by making that connection okay of oh so you're my cut you're my second cousin or you're my you know you're my third cousin or you're our dads work together or Yeah. yeah that's just a huge thing so like when Miley and I first moved back here we'd been married for 10 or 15 years at that point 10 years and um, she found it really hard, like yeah. because I we would go to dinner parties, and people would say, "Oh, hey, Sean, I think I know you're like, you know, our grandfathers were friends, yeah, or you yeah, know, whatever." Yeah. And then they turn, "Oh, where? Who are your parents?" You know, and she's like, "Oh, I'm from Ohio." Oh, <laughs> you know. So all of that to say, yeah. I think in me, I think that's in me. Like I think that insider outsider mentality is in me, and I I've, I've really tried hard to 
work beyond that because I've seen how it's affected Miley. Um, but, you know, first meeting Muhammad and first coming in contact with him, I think my initial response was to hold him at arm's length, you know, be, just because he's not from here. And so um, I, I, I wouldn't say I did that consciously, but it's something that's always at work. Yeah. And you, okay. So here's a key phrase that you just used. Let me, let me mind that a little bit. So you say hold at arm's length. Mm -hmm. That is from a context where predominantly communication happens face to face. Mm -hmm. Now we live in 21st century where communication has changed, mm -hmm. you know, and the way that people predominantly communicate mm -hmm. is not face to face, mm -hmm. right. you know, and whether it's texting or email or social media or mm -hmm. whatever, uh, you know, that that puts a whole new spin on what mm -hmm. constitutes as investing in a relationship, mm -hmm. really connecting, yeah. you know, with somebody new. You know, so you've got you're talking about an insider outsider mentality. And I almost feel like, man, that's been exaggerated yeah. in culture because you've you've got a lot of binary thinking that's starting to happen because the platform, especially of social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, it cultivates that. Yeah. So you're either here or you're there. It's either a 10 or a 1. You're either mm -hmm. hyper-conservative or you're super-liberal. Mm -hmm. And there's there's no there's no meeting in the in-between, right? Mm -hmm. And then you attach yeah. a stigma. Yeah. And not, not to get too political, but right now as we, as we meet outside mm -hmm. this coffee shop, the federal government is shut down. And the yeah. main point of contention is whether or not we're going to build a wall. Yeah. Because yeah. as insiders here as Americans, mm -hmm. yeah. we feel a bit threatened mm -hmm. maybe so how does breaking down a barrier mm. you know with someone yeah. you know who's catching you <clears throat> off guard with his openness yeah. to friendship I don't know if there's a question in there or not but mm. just sort of respond yeah. to that if yeah. you, would. you know it's it's been really interesting the conversations that I've had with people since writing the book people who've read the book and um, one of the biggest responses that I get is people say I had no idea like, I had no idea that refugees were so thoroughly vetted. Or I had no idea that um, it takes a refugee four to five years to mm -hmm. run the gauntlet of paperwork and approvals and uh, to get here. Or, you know, I didn't realize that refugees had to pay back their travel expenses. You know, like, they've got a, like, Mohammed, six flights from Syria, that's not cheap. You know, and relocation expenses and first month's rent and all those things like that is a loan to them that they have to repay. So once people start to better understand the situation, they um, that's when these walls start to get broken down. It's because we don't know. Like we just there are so many things that we don't know yeah. about people, yeah. what they've been through, why they're coming. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, there's. There's just so many narratives surrounding Middle Eastern people and why they're coming to the U.S. And the majority of them just don't don't come close to the reality of, of why people are coming. You know, you meet someone like Muhammad who one night is driving his motorcycle around and realizes, oh my gosh, like there's nobody left in my village. When did yeah. this happen? Wow. You know? Right. Um, and his house is getting bombed mm -hmm. by his own government. Like, you can't stay. Like, mm -hmm. you just can't stay. Right. Um, but you flee to neighboring countries like Jordan, that is a country of 
originally a population of six, seven million, and they've taken in eight million refugees. Yeah. Like, that's not sustainable either. Right. So, the world has to step up, and we're part of that. You know, like we're part of this world population, and I think the barriers only serve to make the situation worse. You know, you look at what's happening in South and Central America, and there are ways that we could help to alleviate those situations so that we didn't have 5,000 people showing up at our border. But when our response is to batten down the hatches and put up more walls, more barriers, um, I think it's only going to get worse. You know, and that's such... So let me let me uh, let me put a pin in that. I want to come back to it, mm. but you're talking on a macro level. Okay, here's the picture of what we're looking at, and here's where just a a, a little bit of intentional conversation, listening mm. for the point of understanding, resets your whole perspective, and then it opens up this opportunity for really what I would call wellness yeah. progress yeah. you know the better solution and i think that you know from a counseling standpoint we can take that all the way down to a micro level mm. and even how we we talk to each other in our mm. families yeah you know yeah parent to child uh siblings husband and wives maybe even extended family in our workplaces campuses and and so forth uh, because you know i look at it and i go man if a, if a friendship can be forged you know mm. like the one you're enjoying then yeah. then really a friendship can be forged anywhere if you've got two willing people who are trying to not drive an agenda, but they're just trying to find each yeah, other in yeah. that. And and one is especially open to the possibility. So so let me let me circle back around. So I'm gonna I'm gonna touch a, uh, a you know a a button here, mm -hmm. a hot topic issue. So, yeah. Sean, you're a devoted Christian, grew up in a Christian home, Christian tradition, mm -hmm. tradition, right? And here we've got Muhammad, mm -hmm. who's distinctly Muslim, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and uh, did you guys ever, you know, sort of address those two different worldviews and, and what was that like? Did you guys talk yeah. about proselytizing or mm -hmm. any of that? I mean, so it was the, the language barrier was tough because it, it does limit how deep you can go into some of these particular issues. Um, the one time, so there were a couple instances. One, I went to his house, just swung by one time, and uh, I was Ubering, driving for Uber. And I had a second, and I would often end up down at his his part of the city. And so I, I, I parked the car, hopped out, went in. He had mentioned something about stopping by that night. And I came in and realized, oh my gosh, it's Ramadan. Like I mm -hmm. hadn't even, hadn't mm -hmm. even crossed my mind. So they're like three weeks into 40 day Ramadan. Yeah. No food or water from sunup to sundown and so I go in and I immediately could tell like it felt different yeah. like they were all sitting they eat on the floor on a like a uh, like a mat and so the family was all around this mat and they had a huge amount of food and you could tell like it was just different it felt yeah. very solemn yeah you know so I walk in he was like oh come sit sit you know join us have dinner with us and so I sat down and um, they were they had something on the phone. I think it was from some other country. So it was like there was um, an imam was leading them in like the Ramadan prayers okay. or whatever, the end okay. of the day prayers. And so we were just sitting there listening and um, it was a really strange moment for me, you know, to think. And this and moments like this is really when I started to connect with Muhammad because I thought here he is a father just like me 
four kids, um, trying to serve God as best as he knows how. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is how he was brought up. This is how he understands God. And his devotion was inspiring. Yeah. You know, as I started asking more questions, like, oh, okay, so you get up at five o'clock every morning and pray for an hour. Oh, so like you, um, you know, for 40 days, you don't eat or drink at all during the day. And he worked in a dry cleaner, like super hot. It was mm-hmm. in the early summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I felt like in, in listening to him in those conversations, I was able to get a better feel for where he was coming from. We had another conversation one time while we were driving where we talked about, um, like, what is the, what was his community like when it came to um, different religions or different sects of, of Islam? And, and he said, before the Civil War, nobody knew what anybody else was. Like, you didn't really know or care if someone was Sunni or Shia. You didn't really know or care if someone was Christian. Like, there were villages, neighboring villages that were known as Christian villages, but everybody interacted and, and really got along. When the war started, and Bashar really put the hammer down, um, then you knew. Like, mm-hmm. everyone knew who was who, and you had to be really careful about what you said about him yeah. around certain yeah. groups. So, those were, like... And we had a funny conversation, too, where I asked him, like, do people marry, mul- you know, do you have multiple wives? Like, is that yeah, a thing yeah, you know, yeah, you live? And yeah. he laughed and gave me, like, the lowdown yeah, on, on all yeah. that. But I think... Um, I mean, he knows I'm a Christian. He knows, you know, I go to church and, and there was a holiday where we, where we had another little bit of a conversation called Eid, where it's, it's basically, um, the, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Um, and during that time in, in their country, it's kind of like a time to reflect and to remember those who have died. And so they go to cemeteries and they spend like three or four days together with mm-hmm, their families. Mm-hmm. And we connected there a little bit because I said, you know, it's interesting that you guys celebrate that story um, and that Jews celebrate that story and that Christians celebrate that story. And so we talked a little bit more about that. But I was never, I was never really in a position where I felt it was right to, you know, to give him the gospel message or to try and walk him down that road. I think I also was in it knowing and understanding very well that um, most Muslims would love to see their friends become Muslim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's, um, that's a reality too. So it's a really interesting dynamic when you come alongside someone and live life with them as much as you can. Um, and they're in a different religion. You know, it's, it's just a, the only thing that I can do in those moments is trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give me the right cues on what to say and you know, what kind of conversations to have. And, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. And that's powerful. And again, I think that translates down just to not just minimizing conflict in our interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. with people who we, you know, who, who we have great, you know, maybe expectations, 
dreams for whatever mm-hmm. you know we're just trying yeah. to work out the interaction maybe it's a difficult person in your office or you know maybe it's a, a classmate or a roommate or family but those those principles allowing can I trust that just me being a good listener being attuned to this other person that God can work through that mm-hmm. and he'll give me the cues yeah. you know of what's needed yeah. I uh we don't have time to go into it, you know, for, for this interview, but, uh, there's uh, some other really cool things that come out in the book is, uh, just the relationship, uh, between, uh, um, Mali and, uh, what's Marathi. Marathi. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, Muhammad's wife, your wife, yeah. and even the interaction, you know, with your kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah. uh, you know, it, and where that begins to surface in the, in the book, I just thought that's incredibly powerful. Mm, yeah. That's incredibly yeah. powerful, you know, because, that type of of cultural diversity i just think is rich yeah. you know and you yeah. lose that depending upon where you step into mm-hmm. in your in your family you know uh, we had an experience where when we relocated back to west virginia you know from dc area northern virginia um i'll never forget this we 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 got our stuff we pulled off this massive move got our stuff in storage uh, and uh, and then of course need to swing by Walmart because that's yeah. <laughs> that's where everybody shops at Walmart just to get some supplies that we were going to need you know uh, as we're trying to make a life in West Virginia and uh, you know my my I have two daughters and they spent the formative years of their lives you know in that DC metro mm-hmm. area and as we're we're pulling into Walmart it was I don't know if it was a weekend night or a weekday night we're trying to find a place to park. And from the back seat, I hear, I hear my oldest daughter go, "Dad, Dad, look at all these white people," <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, yeah. and it, in my mind, I thought, "Oh, that's such a significant comment mm-hmm. that, you know, we we just need to be aware of, you know, the world is bigger." Yeah. than those who are alike yeah you know yeah. and uh, anyway I love that I love the friendships that you described there you know between you know your families as mm-hmm. a whole so yeah. all right so it's a great book now um, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me drill down because this this is what I you're an, you're an exceptional person of wisdom I'm not just saying that uh, I feel like every time I talk to you I get smarter mm-hmm. right so if you were to to sum up hey what are some things to really be mindful of if you're trying to become a better listener mm. because that's where a lot of understanding yeah. flows from right yeah. that's where that's where these unlikely friendships and connections and community that are so beneficial that's where it comes from right uh, what would you say give us a few mm. points of what does it mean mm. to become a better listener you know the thing that that immediately jumps to my mind Chris is that whenever we speak we are trying to control in some way. That's what makes listening so hard is that we're giving up control. You know, oh, we're wow. letting go of the direction of the conversation. We're letting go of what the other person is thinking. Mm-hmm. We're letting go of all these things that we're not comfortable letting go of. When I, when I meet with a client and we're you know, working on a book together, my goal most of the time is not to say anything, is to just let them speak. I don't even want to ask a question because when I ask a question, I interrupt their train of thought. I, I am now, I mean, I now have directed them to go in a completely different way. Like me just saying or just asking a question yeah. has totally derailed 
their line of thought, you know, right. and we will never probably get to where they were going because I spoke. Wow. And so I think it's the same thing like with Muhammad a lot of times, you know, do I wish that I could explain the message of Christ to him in a way that he would understand and accept? Sure. Like Jesus has made a huge impact on my life. Yeah. And, um, and I would love for him to experience the same comfort and happiness and joy that I have. But I feel like too often we try and use our words to control people into making that decision or, or into, you know, making that lifestyle choice. And, and I'm just not sure that that's really an effective way of, of leading people into a new understanding. And so it's something that Miley and I've talked a lot about in regard to our relationships with people that we love, you know, who we feel like maybe they're not making choices the way that we would make them or they're not living the way we think they should. And, mm -hmm. and so naturally we want to speak into that and to say, why are you doing this? Or why mm -hmm. don't you do this? Mm -hmm. Or have you thought about this? And the funny thing is we both realized a huge amount of freedom in in those close relationships and just listening. Yeah. And you know, like yeah. you got a, a family member who you get on the phone with and they're telling you stuff and you're thinking, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you not see, yeah. but to just sit back. And so many times when we sit back and we let that person process to the end, mm -hmm. Oh, they come to the same conclusions that we would have tried to stuff down their throat yeah. and then they would have rejected, yeah. you know? So, for me, I think that's listening is just giving up control. That's really powerful. And, I, you know, I, I think that was that was one of the hardest things for me, stepping into the realm of counseling versus all those years as being a pastor. Mm -hmm. Because when people would come to a pastor, they, they, they inadvertently, I think, many times put the burden on you mm. to tell them how to think. They want an answer. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that that was such an important thing for me to learn it's like no 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 when i when i tell a person how they should think which is different than saying hey i i'll open a bible with you and let's see if there's an you know mm -hmm. if, see if god has a commentary on yeah. this right something that you can embrace by faith that will translate into this release of grace in your life that's yeah. that's different but yeah. when i overstep that bound and i assume control and I'm really trying to influence a way a person thinks or telling you, I'm, I'm disrespecting their dignity, mm, their yeah. God-given dignity, yeah. right? You know, to process, to arrive at a conclusion that they not only can feel good about, but they can embrace mm -hmm. and they can understand yeah. the, the wisdom of it. And uh, that's, that is, that's tremendously powerful. So, yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Right. For uh, that, that's, that's like a perfect place to drop the mic <laughs> or to turn off our recording yeah. and walk away. But, uh, but you know, if you're listening to this, this is just, you know, a sample of, uh, you know, of what it's like to have, you know, the thoughts here and, and conversation with, uh, with Sean Smucker. And, uh, before we get off here, Sean, uh, if a person's interested in more of your writing books, I know you blog, I, you know, I mm -hmm. just read, uh, you know, a recent one about, uh, Muhammad's father mm -hmm. passing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how, how can they find more of you out on the web? Yeah, I mean, if you just Google Sean Smucker, S-H-A-W-N, Smucker, um, a lot, all of my stuff will come up. My website is seansmucker.com, and I've got a list there of some of the books that I've written, and um, 
yeah, if you go to Amazon and check out, you know, you'll find find list of my books. Just Sean Smucker. All right. Dude, I can't thank you enough for doing yeah. this today. Uh, I suspect this won't be the last time I, I do not. I do an interview yeah. with you. So deepest, deepest appreciation. Love our friendship yeah, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, all right? Thanks. All right, Thanks, Chris. Okay, so how about that? Yeah. Right? Wow. Uh, yeah, so just a fascinating you know, person, I, I could, I, you know, like literally, you know, our conversation went on much longer uh-huh. <laughs> than, than that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, thoughts, man, what, what, uh, what's some of the takeaways that maybe jumped out at you, Michael? Yeah, there was, there's a lot of great stuff. Um, I think that the first thing on my mind is just, um, you know, he starts out talking about, uh, obviously his friendship with Muhammad and how it was, challenging for him because it wasn't what he, he expected, um, especially coming out of uh, the insider-outsider mentality right, of right. Amish culture, right? which you know I, I didn't know anything about coming into this interview, but that was, I thought, interesting to hear about. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the thing that he talked about was kind of with Americans, and particularly Amish Americans from where he was coming from, have this rugged individualism mm-hmm. um and then you contrast that with just the 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 super relational uh characteristics of muhammad and his family you know they're they're kind of observing kind of ramadan prayer together and then he he comes to the door and he says come in come in come in like that's right, just right. not what you would expect from you know at least in an american context right. at all right open right yeah. so you know one of the one of the first things you learn about communication is just verbally and non-verbally, do you posture yourself in an open way, sure. right? Because that's that that's not only engaging, but that sets you up as well, you know, to be a good listener. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give away the book because I would just encourage anybody, you know, to track it down on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, order the book. I mean, it's awesome. But there are periods that, that Sean will describe in the book with Muhammad uh, where the listening involves no words. Mm-hmm. And it's like awesome. You know, I mean, it's like, it's just really, you know, for for a guy, especially, I would say it's just sort of mind stretching. And I, and I think it would probably be too, you know, for any, uh, for any females, you know, for any ladies that would read the book. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, that, that, I think you really pressed on something there that's essential. You know? Yeah. And I think that kind of takes me into the next takeaway that I found, which was this fascinating part towards the end of the interview where he talks about. Uh, anytime we speak, we're trying to control in some way, which w- was just, uh, you know, you even said it, that was just kind of a mic drop yeah. moment because yeah. it's so true and, and it's so challenging to, to think about our, our, our conversations in that way. Yeah, that was like one of those golden nuggets of wisdom mm-hmm. that you're just like, you know, you're not, you're not even really digging. You're just sort of walking along and all of a sudden... Boom! <laughs> this stuff yeah. is just dropped on you. And when, when he said that, I'm trying to maintain my focus to get a good recording. And at the same time, all I wanted to do was just stop and all right, give me a second to process that, right? <laughs> uh huh. Because yeah. again, you know, a lot of times in our conversation, we're trying to get to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the bottom line so we can understand what we're dealing with, so that we can make a decision. And oh, by the way, I already have my decision in my mind made up. And so I'm yeah. going to try to navigate towards that, right? You know, yeah. so, yeah, so, you know, when you were hearing that, as far as, you know, my words, relinquishing control, 
Like, you know, what, what was going on? I mean, like, how did that, how did that hit you? Well, you know, it, it has implications for a lot of different things. I mean, obviously he, he talked about, you know, what, what do you do when you're faced with, you know, a, a loved one, uh, making a decision that you really don't agree with and they're telling you about it. Um, you know, the, in those moments, do you have the, you know, willpower to, to let go and just hear them out until the end? Or are you just going to kind of jump on it and try to try to assert control and, and, and try to change their mind? Um, but then I think that also has implications for, you know, us as Christians uh, for, for what evangelism looks like. He touched on that too. And uh, he talked about in speaking with Muhammad, um, trusting in the Holy Spirit. Uh, for for those those inroads to to talking about the the Christian faith and you know I, I it, it was interesting to say you know he never really felt like he found the moment to, to you know give a gospel presentation uh, to Muhammad and I think that kind of runs counter to a lot of what we're taught in the church uh, about evangelism. Um, I'm sure you'll you'll remember this. For our listeners that don't know, uh, you were my youth pastor when I was in high school. Um, One of the worst teenagers I've ever had. <laughs> that's not true at all. That's not true at all. No, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, but there there was a time that that we went to a uh, a youth oh, evangelism. I totally conference. know where you're going. With yeah, this. yeah, and uh, I I won't say which one just because yeah, that's not yeah. the point. But uh, you know, it was this conference that it, it was trying to get. Uh, young people to share their faith, um, but the way that it was that it was gone about, um, even as a, as a high schooler, it just just left me really jaded because you know it was very much uh, like they taught you this kind of mnemonic device for remembering the main points of the gospel, and then they like send you out into the community and get you to collect canned goods, but then also try to kind of weasel your way into a sales pitch for for the gospel uh and it was just so devoid of i don't think i heard the term holy spirit once from the the stage the whole mm-hmm. time that i was mm-hmm. there and i uh, i was just you know at, at kind of a young age i'm like this is not what evangelism should look like because it's just it's it's dishonest uh, it's manipulative and I, I think that this conversation with with Sean uh, kind of presented a good antidote to that. Right, I, and I, I I totally remember that. I agree. I mean, I, I remember as a youth pastor going, "Okay, this is this is not a vibe that you know is is going to resonate well with our group and where mm-hmm. we are." And and a part of it was just you just felt like you had to close the deal to yeah. be a, to be a serious Christian. You gotta close the deal, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, you know, again, when you surrender control, it's not just you're not trying to control the other person, but you've you know you've brought up the Holy Spirit several times as Christians. You know, we believe that God's Spirit resonates throughout planet Earth, and because of a saving faith in Jesus, His Spirit actually can come and make His home within us. Mm -hmm. That does not take away our free will or you know the the privilege we have to exercise our own will. Sure. Whenever we want to, so a part of that does come down to, okay, well, how much of this do we trust in not just God's timing, but in God directing the flow of the relationship? You know, one thing I'll share that uh, after I, you know, had the 
after I had had the conversation with Sean and walked away was it it reminded me of I had to go look for it it reminded me of a quote that I read a while back from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer yeah. right so he was 20th century martyr uh, wrote several books classic cost of discipleship but he wrote this one book about life together because he was really exploring the idea of communal faith before World War II hit and uh, he made this observation he says the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. Just as love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for our brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. Wow. Right? Yeah. And uh, I that you know that conversation with Sean somehow went back in the warehouse of my mind and said, oh, you've heard something like this before that you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> How easily Along we forget. The way. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, I agree with you, man. When, uh, when Sean made that observation, I did not see that coming. Yeah. And it just, it landed. It really did come out of nowhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think some people would be surprised, uh, you know, to find that uh, the Bible is pretty specific uh, in communication in a lot of ways. And I think probably the the most popular verse in the Bible when it comes to communication and listening is from the book of James. And uh, James is New Testament wisdom literature. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's it's uh, five condensed chapters full of wisdom. And right off the, right off the bat, um, in James chapter one, verse 19, it says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, and and we use that verse a lot in in the counseling setting in a professional setting. But we also, you know, anytime we're just we're just talking with other people, if we can keep it in mind that hey, let it be, let this conversation come in a way that, you know, I'm being quick to hear, slow to speak, and even in the most touchy subject matter, it'll be hard to get to a point of anger. When I when I think of James one nineteen, let every person be first of all quick to hear. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind with a you know a biblical principle of listening is the willingness to focus. Sure. Right. Quick to hear. Uh, that that word there, quick. Uh, it has the it has um, you know it, it creates a picture of agility. You know, like you're able to stop what you're doing and redirect. And, and for the most part, you know, I think that communication breaks down and our listening's not so good because we're preoccupied with something, our mind's somewhere else, and we, we maybe just haven't developed the discipline yet to bring it back over into a focus of really paying attention, you know, to the person who's trying to, uh, to communicate with us. I know, I know that's been the case for me probably eight out of ten times. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just... I'm just not listening to you, right? Because I'm not quick to hear. I mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a if that's a me thing or if that's a common. No, thing. I think that's common because you know it it, it does take intentionality and efforts uh, sometimes to kind of even shut out the noise of our own minds just to to sit down to focus and to really take in what a person is is saying to them and also to shut off the part of our brain that's processing through how we're going to respond. Uh, while they're still talking. Yeah, no doubt. Second thing I would say is, you know, with the verse here, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, that's a principle of patience. Yeah. You know, slow slow to speak. Um, patience requires uh, us to let others have reasonable time to put together their thoughts, 
to articulate their thoughts. Um, mm. Sometimes it does it doesn't flow immediately, right? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the 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 things that get so heated in a conversation. So often that person comes back at the end of the conversation saying, you know, that's that's not what I what I meant at all. Right. You know, we've got to give people time to get to their actual full point and not judge them for what comes during the process. And and some some people, I'm not one of these people. Some people can put their thoughts together fairly quickly in their mind and just spit it out. Mm-hmm. very directly. Uh, some people like me, I'm a verbal processor. Mm-hmm. That means I can't completely process my ideas or my thoughts apart from speaking them out loud. Yeah. Um, if I'm called on to teach or preach or whatever, I, I'm typically very scripted with that because if I don't come into it, you know, getting my words out and putting them in order, then I can meander all over. <laughs> <laughs> the place, mm-hmm. and I appreciate uh, you know friendships that I have uh, who uh, you know not only uh, listen to me but they're patient with yeah. me in that because it does take me a while to get to you know um, a point to where I'm satisfied with is this what I really mean? Okay, yeah, this is what I really mean. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that other people experience or not. But uh, but for those of us who are verbal processors, we appreciate the patience you know, that other people can show as we're trying to find our way in a conversation, right? So when you think about, okay, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, that's all about focus, that's about patience. Uh, When you're engaged in a conversation, so you're good about this, right? I'm not stroking your ego, I'm just saying I see this in you, all right? Hopefully I am, Um, You know, we we can learn to ask clarifying questions Mm -hmm. that draw another person out a little more, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what, as I say that, what, are, what, are, what might be some examples of that? What are, what are you thinking about as far as? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this, especially since l- listening to that interview. And um, it, because, you know, Sean in the interview said that even the questions that we ask can change the direction of a conversation. Um, so a lot of times the most valuable questions that you can ask are really just kind of, restating what the other person is saying and not trying to add much to it. Um, you know, really just to kind of confirm that you're, that you're listening. And then as, as the other person kind of hears that, that you've understood what they've said, they can kind of continue on the, the path of their conversation. Now, I mean, obviously there's need sometimes for clarifying questions. Uh, if there's something that, really isn't making sense to you the questions that you can ask are so you're saying this and then kind of restated in your own words uh, the, uh, those are good kind of listening questions that don't add a lot to you know of of your kind of new ideas to the the equation and, and okay so that sounds super straightforward super simple but that is a that's a tough skill set to develop mm-hmm. i mean it really doesn't is. come easy no it doesn't and and uh but it works. It like and, and, and you know, I was dead serious. It's like those are the things that I've since you were young. I've seen you like you're really good at things like that. Thank you. You know, yeah, because you're drawing person out in the conversation. And you know what? What I would say is, you know, as you're as you're learning to ask clarifying questions. Well, well, tell me more about you know your position on this. Or, you know, I didn't quite understand what you said when you, you know 
when you mentioned the few sentences back that this is how you felt about whatever, help me understand that. That sounds like really elementary things, you know, to know to do in a conversation, but those are the basics that keep a conversation safe. Most of the time, people operate in three worlds. We have our public world, a little further inside of our boundaries. We have our personal world that we allow, you know, some of the public world into. And then further inside of that, we have our private world. Mm -hmm. And consciously or subconsciously, we're always surveying the people around us, trying to figure out who are the people who are safest to invite in. And, you know, once we invite them in, do, are they interested enough in learning more about me that I can share? And that do I have access to learn more about them? And the listening, you know, skill set really is, you know, I've, I feel like it's the essential part of not just being approachable in a conversation, but moving into very personal edifying spaces in our relationships. And those simple things really do make a difference. Let me... Um, let me share a one verse here that I think you know will will be a good place to put a pin in this, uh, you know, and then we'll we'll pick up at a later time, you know, with more communication talk. There's a there's a there's a portion of scripture uh, in Luke. It's it's Jesus. It's his teaching, and it's it really surfaces where G- Jesus is warning people: there will be combative times in your life. As a matter of fact, you may be hauled before authorities. And you're, you're going to be made to give an account for what it is that you're sharing with other people, for the testimony that you're giving. And um, in the middle of, of reassuring his disciples, he, he tells them this principle. He says, and this is Luke 21, verse 14, it says, Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what type of answers you're going to give people. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of even your adversaries will not contradict. And that there that sounds like it could be argumentative, but I don't think it is mm-hmm. argumentative. I think that when we are not so consumed with formulating our argument, our comeback, you know, what our what our position is going to be when we're engaged with others, even others who might be upset with us. And we just trust in the moment that if we focus and have patience to listen, then when it is time for us to open our mouths, the Holy Spirit is going to put the right words in there that will be saturated in wisdom that will not only diffuse the situation, but it will confirm truth if there's truth to be had. You know, and I think that there's a, I think there's a powerful uh, you know, principle in that that we can apply to our marriage relationships we can apply that definitely, you know, as we're we're trying to direct our children, you know, in the way that's right. But at the same time, you want to shepherd their heart. And how do we get to the heart if we're not safe people or if we're trying to control yeah, all the time, right? That's absolutely true. Right. So if you want more of uh, Sean Smucker, the easiest way to find him is seansmucker.com. Uh, we will put a link to that on the uh, Resolutions Counseling website. That'll get you to his uh, webpage. That'll turn you on to his resources. He's an avid blogger. Uh, he's just a great, great writer. You may uh, even want to, if you're part of an organization, he's the type of guy that you could bring in and really uh, speak to a multitude of issues uh, You know that would encourage your people, your family, your group, whatever. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of Resolutions uh, podcast, then we encourage you to go to iTunes, subscribe, give us a good review. Uh, we're trying to, to build a, a big listening base so we can help and encourage 
as many people as possible. Yeah, so tell your friends. Tell your friends, man. Have them come along for the ride. Okay, until next time, I'm Chris Campbell. I'm Michael Gum. And uh, we'll see you next episode. All right.